Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, come on. I know you've eaten a lot and you're tired, but good morning. We're so glad that you're here this morning. When I was a kid, one of the things that uh, my dad taught us at an early age, uh, my brother and I, not my sister cared nothing about it, my brother and I, how to hunt. Any hunters in the room like to hunt? Anybody? Okay. Seven of you. Great. So I'm talking to you seven, all right? And so uh, my dad taught us that, but one of the most important things my dad taught us about hunting was obviously safety. That was important. He taught us the idea of you don't just kill to kill. If you shoot something, you eat it, that kind of stuff. So we had a lot of rabbit, a lot of squirrel, and a lot of deer growing up. And so, but one thing my dad taught me that was very valuable for hunting was this. It's how that if you want to take out an animal, you have to hit it in the vitals, right? And so he would show me exactly, on, like on a deer, where to hit it behind the shoulder and hit the heart or the lungs or whatever. And, and oftentimes I have to say I, I didn't do that very well. But anyway, my dad was teaching me that. And his point was, if you know where to hit the deer, it will always go down, right? If you take the heart out, take the lungs out... It's going down somewhere or somehow. Now, here's why I'm bringing that up. Some of you are like, I don't care about hunting and all. That's okay. But here's why I'm bringing it up. Because the more I read scripture, here's the more that I'm convinced of. We have a real enemy who wants to do all he can to take us out. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, we really do. And listen, he's not, now the devil is not all-knowing. He does not know what God knows. God is the only one all-knowing. But the devil does do his homework. And he knows exactly the propensities that many of us have in the room. In fact, if you were to read scripture, and you can turn there later, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, says we're not to love the world, anything in the world, because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, there are three areas of temptation that the devil attacks us all on. In fact, I would venture to say you probably can't think of a sinful temptation in anyone that would not fit into one of these three categories. Here's the first one, the lust of the flesh. Now, when I talk about flesh, I'm talking about, you know, those things that we desire and those things that we crave for our flesh. It could be needs or it could just be flat-out desires, but there's this lust of the flesh. Another one is the lust of the eyes. That's the idea that everything we see, we covet that. We covet that, that, what, that, that nicer house or that, that whatever it is. We covet those things. We see things and we want those things. And then the third area of temptation is the pride of life. Now let me just give you a real big definition of what pride is. All right, Pride is, and I'm talking about the bad pride, not good pride, but the pride that he taxes with. Bad pride is this. It's a pride of entitlement. It's an idea of being, always needing to be right. And so it's also an idea of being deserving, that I deserve this. In fact, our kids do it all the time. Our kids have a tons of pride because they'll say something like this. When you tell them that one kid gets to do this and the other kid doesn't, what is all the time the kid that doesn't get to do something, what do they say? It's not what? That's entitlement, right? Right? Now, all you kids, don't ever say that again, all right? Because your mamas and daddies don't care about fair. They care about what justice, because that's what God cares about, right? So parents, I gave you all some help right there, all right? So don't ever say it's not fair. Because why? Because that's pride. That's entitlement. Now listen, those three areas are the areas the enemy attacks us with the desires of our flesh, the, the desires of our eyes, what we see, and in the pride that's in our heart, those are the areas he attacks us. Now let's just be really honest this morning and say this. Chances are when we go through those moments of temptation, if you're like Doug, I find myself way too many times giving in to temptation, don't you? Well, it's a craving of my flesh, well, it's the lust of my eyes when I see something that I want it, or the pride of my heart. 
And so here's what I want to submit to you today, because here's one thing that I wrestle with when I talk to people. And so many people I talk to that say they're born again and they're followers of Jesus live a defeated life. They live like, hey, I'm just defeated. I mean, we know we're free from sin, but yet we find ourselves in bondage to sin. And I just want to say to you something this morning, that many of us, all of us in the room, actually all of us are going to face tons of temptation. All of us are. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of finding myself quoting the Apostle Paul. Why do I do the very things that I hate? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of looking in the mirror going, why in the world do I keep giving in to temptation after temptation after temptation? And I hope if you're a believer, the answer to that question is, yes, I'm tired of giving in. Because when I give in to temptation, guess what happens? The devil can't take your salvation away, but he can sure make you ineffective. Right? When I choose to give in to temptation, am I modeling Christ? Am I, am, I, am I reflecting Christ? Or am I becoming ineffective in the gospel and sharing the kingdom of God? I'm becoming ineffective. And that's the enemy's, that's his plan. So here's the question I want to think about this morning is this. How can we win in the battle with temptation? How can we win in our battle with temptation? Now, first of all, I need you to know this. We have a battle. It is a battle. Temptation is a battle. And we're going to talk about it all day long because I want you to think with me. Temptation is a battle. It's a battle everybody faces. I'm just going to tell you because I'm the guy that stands on this stage. I face as much temptation as you do. And I fail more times than I succeed. But that doesn't mean I have something in me that doesn't want to say, I want to be over this. I want to have victory in my battles with temptation. I don't want to keep saying, why do I do the very things I hate? I want to say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have victory over this temptation, and I didn't give in. Don't you want the same thing for your life? So how do we do that? Well, there's no better person to talk about than Jesus himself. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, as we continue in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4 is we're going to be, and some of you that are very astute notice, well, what about chapter 3? Is it not important? It's very important, but we may come back to it later, but we're going to bypass it, because next week we're going to start in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, and I'm so excited about that, and we're going to spend about six or seven weeks in the two chapters, Matthew 5, 6, or three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in chapter 3, here's what you need to know happens. John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus, and then Jesus is baptized. There's a beautiful moment where Jesus gets into the Jordan and John baptizes him. And as soon as he's baptized and comes up out of the water, we pick up on chapter 4. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read verse 1 through 11. Everybody stand with me as we read in honor of God's word. If you're awake this morning, say, I'm awake. awake. Here we go. Then Jesus led by the Spirit, and pause right there just a minute. The Son of God, perfect God, perfect man, led by the Spirit. Let that sink in for a moment. How much more led by the Spirit should we be when we're not perfect and we are not God? Amen? Okay, we'll come back to that. Here we go. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and ministry. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today, and may you truly impact our lives today, and may we learn from the life of Jesus how we can win against the battle with temptation. Thank you, Lord, and you hear me pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to dissect it, but I really think what we see is we see a blueprint from Jesus of how we can have victory and win in our battle with temptation. Now, before I go on, let me, just look at me for a moment. If you're a believer, don't you get tired of the temptation that continually finds its way down your path? Don't you get tired of the temptation that just keeps inundating you day after day after day? I mean, there's some days I always like to have a rest from temptation. Why does the devil keep tempting us? Because he wants us to fail and be ineffective. And so today, this message and what we're going to learn from Jesus is not something I hope you just take notes on and put it up on the shelf and don't apply it. Listen, I'm hoping you apply it maybe even while I'm talking. I'm hoping you apply it when you walk out these doors. The next time temptation comes your way, I want you to remember the blueprint that Jesus gave us for how we can have victory in our battle with temptation. And I think there's three things I want you to know. The first one we're going to get to in a moment, but I want you to look with me in verse 2 through 4 again. It says this. It says, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered them, him, It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing I want you just to kind of look at the story with and notice is Jesus was hungry. Right? Think about this. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And there's going to come a season where I'll come back to fasting. Fasting is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines that's least practiced by believers than maybe any other spiritual discipline there is. There are really three kinds of biblical fasting. I won't get into all this today, but one of those is the absolute fast. It's no food and no water. That's what Jesus did. Forty days and forty nights. Who is in for that fast? Right? Now, can you imagine after forty days and forty nights of no food, what is one thing we can say about you? You would be what? Dead, dead. Who said that? That's true. That's true. You'd be dead. There's no doubt about it. But you would be, if you were alive, you would be, that was good. You would be hungry, right? And so this is, listen, this is the temptation of the flesh. Jesus was hungry. Now listen to me. If Jesus had eaten food, that would not have been the temptation and that would not have been sin. It's the path to get the food is how the devil's testing him, okay? So listen to me. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He is obviously hungry. Now him getting food is not the temptation and the sin. The temptation the devil offers him is how the, the path he's going to get that food. Notice what he says. He says, if you are the son of God. So the devil challenges Jesus in really kind of two areas. He says, are you really the son of God? And if you are the son of God, prove it. And here's how you prove it. You take these stones over here and you turn them into bread. Hey, listen, Jesus, I want you to show off and I want you to show out. I know God spoke at your baptism and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But at the end of the day, Jesus, if you really are the one that God claims you to be and the one you will claim to be, if you really are the son of God, prove it, Jesus. He challenges him on that. But can I tell you also what he challenges him on that we always miss? is He's challenging Jesus on the provision of his father. He's challenging Jesus on the provision of God. 
He's saying, listen, Jesus, I want you to satisfy your fleshly desires. See, Jesus, the reason you're hungry is because your Father has not provided for you. So you take charge and you take care of yourself because God is not going to help you. Now think about that. So what is the core of this temptation? It's self-reliance and ignoring and acting independent of God. Now think about that. The temptation the devil offers Jesus is that, Jesus, you don't need God the Father. You can turn these stones into bread. Do it yourself. Take care of yourself. Take matters into your own hands, Jesus. You meet your need because you can do it. Show out, Jesus. Temptation of the flesh. This is a temptation of self-reliance. He's saying, listen, Jesus, I want you to act independent of God. Do this on your own. Now, I love what Jesus said to him. He says this, for man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, the thing that I need right now more than anything else is not food for my body. What I need more than anything else is food for my soul. And I refuse to act independent of my Father's leading in my life. So man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now listen, anybody like to watch movies? Anybody? Okay, there's a few of you like to watch movies, and some of you just don't want to admit that. But we like watching movies. I won't even ask you how many like to watch Hallmark movies. But anyway, we like to watch movies. And how many of you watch those movies that almost feel like they keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time, right? You like those? I like those movies, right? And then when the ending's over, you're like, what? I didn't see that coming, right? And when I read this, it's almost like I read Jesus saying that the, I do not, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's this idea that Jesus is like, I'm hanging on every single word that comes from my heavenly Father. Every word matters to me, and I crave it, and I need it, and I long for it way more than I long for food. What a response. And here's what we learn. One way that we can win our battle against temptation, one way we can win our battle against temptation is by refusing to act independent of God. Here's what I mean. When temptation comes your way, most of us try to figure it out on our own. We try to handle it in our own strength, in our own timing, and do it our way. And here's what will happen to us every time. We will fall. And what we learn from Jesus is that one way we can win against our battle with temptation is by refusing to act independent of God, but rather dependent on God. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. Because the devil's going to attack us the same way he attacked Jesus. Amen? He's going to attack us with our fleshly, not just our needs, but our fleshly desires and cravings. Let me give you an example, and I'm going to speak kind of in code because we have kids in the room, all right? One of those desires like our sexuality. God made us the way we made us. Did you think God made you the way he made you? Okay, that's not a trick question. Did God make you the way that you are? You better believe he did. And what God made in us and the, the desires and the cravings that we have are all good and godly as long as they're only acted out within the framework of marriage. Amen? 
But yet the old devil comes along and goes, no, 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 no. I mean, surely God didn't mean that because, listen, if you really want to fulfill yourself and feel satisfied and you really want to feel a sense of belonging, you need to be active in this. That's why the last five years of my ministry life, I've been blown away with a number of people I've talked to, young couples, older couples, who say they love Jesus, they love the Lord, and yet they're cohabitating. There's something about that that just makes no sense to me. Now, I'm not judging them, and I'm not ugly with them. I'm not going, get out of our church. I've never done that, but there's a part of me going, they have bought the lie of the devil that their desire is, whatever you feel fleshly, just just satisfy it on your own. I mean, just take matters in your own hand. Ignore what God says. Just do it your way. And I'm telling you, if we are going to win the battle over temptation, it begins with us refusing to act independent of God. See, dependence on God says this, that when temptation comes, I take it to his word. When temptation comes my way, I say, okay, God, what does your word say? How am I supposed to handle the situation? How am I supposed to intervene? How am I supposed to act? God, what do you want me to do, God? Your word guides my path, not my opinions. And I'm just saying, if you want to have victory, it starts with us being dependent on God and refusing to be independent and acting independent from God. If that makes sense, I got it. I'm telling you, this is huge for us today. Because if you're like Doug, when it comes my way, I, if, I, if, if I even recognize this temptation, I try to handle it on my own. I try to figure out my own wisdom. And it never goes well. But if we're really going to win the battle, we've got to refuse to act independent of God. Secondly, look in verse 5 through 7. There's another one we see here. A second temptation is this. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, there's that question again, throw yourself down for it is written. Now listen, the devil quoted scripture. And it is really scripture. Just he manipulated it, okay? He says this, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear up you, bear you up unless you strike your foot Against the stone. In other words, they're going to catch you. So what does he do? He tempts Jesus by taking him to the high t- this temple. And he says this. He tempts Jesus by saying, I want you to put God to the test, Jesus. I want you to put him to the test. I want you to back your father into the corner and watch him intervene on your behalf, Jesus. Now, this is a temptation of pride. Remember, pride is that sense of entitlement, that sense of deserving, that sense of needing to be right. That's what the pride we're talking about is today. And remember what he said, he said, if you are the son of God, there's that question again, prove it, Jesus. He said, throw yourself down, for God will not let the angels let you strike a stone. They will catch you. Now, what is the devil really saying to Jesus? He's saying, Jesus, show the world who you are. Draw all the attention to yourself. Force God to act on your behalf, Jesus. And this is a temptation of testing God instead of trusting God. And I love what Jesus said. Look here. The Jesus says, oh, no, that wasn't, you, you quoted the wrong verse. No, look what Jesus said in verse 7. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not backing God into a corner. And I'm trusting and I'm waiting on his timing. When God wants to show the world who I am, he'll do it. When God wants the world's attention on me, he'll do it. And by the way, you know when that happened? The cross. 
Right? That's when that happened. That's when God showed the world who his son was. That's when the world's attention was on him, was the cross. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not backing God into a corner. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you know there's only one time in all of Scripture we're told to test God? Malachi. When it talks about bringing tithes to the storehouse, which we'll come to in the middle of January. Bring the tithe to the storehouse. That's the only time God says, listen, if you want to test me, that's the one. Other than that, do not put me to the test. And Jesus says, I'm not backing my heavenly father into the corner. I'm perfectly waiting and trusting on him and in him. Now, one way that we can win the battle with temptation is by refusing to act independent of God, but secondly, refusing to test God, but rather trust God. Now, unfortunately, if we really thought about it, we test God a lot. We really do. And I'm not talking about you going out on top of the, you know, the school here and jumping off and say, God, catch me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stuff like this. Well, God, because I showed up today and because I've been faithful to come to church, I expect you to answer my prayers the way that I've asked you to answer them. Is that testing God? Yeah. Or what about this one? Hey, God, because I gave. And, man, God, it's been sacrificial. And I've been given sacrificial. I expect to get that promotion that I've applied for. I've been faithful, God. I expect you to be faithful. Ever done that one? Or what about this? We choose just to live recklessly and assume God's going to bless us. I can live like the devil Monday through Saturday and then come on Sunday and expect God to bless me. We presume upon the grace of God. We presume we can live like the devil and yet somehow God in his graciousness is going to tolerate that stuff. Listen to me. If we think that, that is pride. That's our sense of entitlement, our sense of deserving. And you know what pride leads to? A fall. An epic fall. Scripture says that God will exalt the, pr- the humble and he will tear down the proud, right? He will destroy the He will bring the proud down. If you don't believe me, just look at Scripture. It wasn't that the sin of Eve in the garden? When the devil says, hey, listen, God's holding out on you, Eve. If you eat of this tree, you can know as God knows. And the pride within her helped cause her to pursue that tree and that fruit. What about Satan himself? Why was he kicked out of heaven? Pride? He thought he could be bigger and better than God, right? And I'm just saying to you this morning that the temptation, one of the temptations we all face is this pride of life, this sense of, this sense of uh, entitlement and this sense of deserving. And it will always lead us down a path of falling and collapsing and destruction. Always. See, the only way we can withstand and have victory over the temptation we face is choosing to be dependent on God, not acting independent, but secondly, choosing to trust God and not test God. Do you, see, listen, do you really believe that God is in, all, is in control of everything? You know, isn't it easy to say amen? Isn't it easy to say yes? I mean, it, come on, do we believe that God's in control of everything? Yes. Amen, so easy. But how hard is it to live that way? How hard is it to put that to the test of our own life when temptation comes our way, when trouble comes our way, when tragedy comes our way? I mean, there's moments in my life I will declare God is good. You know what I think? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Is God good when tragedy happens? Yes. But do we, do we live that out sometimes? No. And I'm just saying the only way we can withstand the temptation we face is not by testing God, but by trusting God. And then there's one more I want you to notice with me, and it's this. In verse 8 through 11, it says this. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him and only shall you serve. Now, think about this just for a moment. The devil tempts him with hunger. The temptation of the flesh doesn't work. Then he tempts him, taking him to the temple. The temptation of pride doesn't work. And so now he comes to this, whole, this mountain. And he says, listen, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms of the world. But all I ask for, listen to this, all I ask for, Jesus, is a moment, a moment, a moment of compromise. That's all I'm asking for, Jesus. All this I'm going to give you. Now, here's the, here's the humor in this. Those were kingdoms that weren't his to give away anyway. Right? It all belonged to God anyway. And Jesus knew that. But he's like, Jesus, I, listen, I'm going to give all this to you, Jesus, but I'm asking you for a moment of compromise. Here it is. Just for a moment, if you just bow down and worship me, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see we're here all by ourselves. A moment of compromise, Jesus, and all this I'll give to you. Every bit of it. See, it was a temptation of the eyes. Jesus, you can have all this, and you can have it now. Listen, with no pain and no agony. It can all be yours with a moment of compromise. See, this was a temptation where the devil was offering Jesus what God had already promised him. God had already promised the son that he was going to have all authority in heaven and on earth. That means he's the king of everything. God had already promised him that. So the devil's temptation is he offers Jesus all that God's already promised, but he offers it to him via a shortcut. Right? How many like shortcuts? Right? But how many times you try to take a shortcut and you get lost? Right? There's a reason your GPS is taking you the way it's taking you. Because shortcuts don't always work. And he said, listen, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything your fathers promised you via shortcut. Now, here's the shortcut. Please don't miss this. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. He offered him a crown without the cross. Think about that. He offered him the crown to be king without the cross. Now, if you're Jesus just for a moment, are you tempted? Now, Jesus not, but if you were Jesus, because we're all flawed. He wasn't. Would you, for a moment, let me put it in our perspective. Anybody remember Ed McMahon? Okay, Publishers Clearinghouse. I don't know who it is now, but I remember Ed McMahon, because my mom watched that all the time. And so anyway, I, what, ha what would happen if Ed McMahon came to your door and offered you millions of dollars, enough to set you up for the rest of your life for a moment of compromise? And said, nobody's going to know. Nobody can see. Just a moment of saying, Ed, I worship you. In that moment, would you be tempted? The answer is yes. You know why? Because it's an area that he attacks us on. If it was an area that we weren't be tempted with, why would the devil even attack us, right? If he didn't see it as a flaw of human nature to be driven by what we see and want what we see and crave what we see, we want to keep up with the Joneses. We want the new house. We want the new this. We want the new that. We want Everything we see, we covet those things. I mean, if coveting was not a temptation, he would not have brought it to Jesus and obviously attack us with it. The answer is yes, we would be tempted. Yes, we would be tempted. But I don't want you to notice Jesus' response. He says this, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, hey, Satan, 
the affections of my heart only belong to one person, and it's not you. He actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He says, listen, be gone. For it is written that we're to worship the Lord our God, and him are we only to serve. Satan, I'm not giving in for this moment. Why? Because I'm committed to my Father. Now, please hear this. How can we overcome and be victorious in our battles with temptation? Thirdly, it's this. By choosing and refusing to not compromise. If we're going to overcome and stand the battle of temptation, we have to refuse to compromise. Can I just say something I hope you take well, and it's this. If we are truly committed to following Jesus, it will come at a cost. Right? If you truly are following Jesus, there's a price that we'll pay. There's ridicule that we'll face, maybe persecution that we will go through. I mean, when we follow Jesus, there is always a cost. There's things we're not going to do, things we're not going to say, things we're not going to see, things we're not going to say. I mean, there's things that we will not do because we follow Jesus. Being truly committed to him comes at a cost. And if you say, Doug, I don't feel like I'm, 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 there's any cost in my life for following Jesus, maybe it's because you're not that committed to him. Because when I read the Bible and I see the level of commitment that Jesus calls me to, there's a price for that. There's a price that when he says, I want you to love me over your family, there's a price for that. There's a price that says, listen, I want to follow you so much that even if it's uncomfortable, Lord, I'm going to follow you. There's a price. Being truly committed to Jesus comes with a cost. And I'm just going to tell you, the devil is going to tempt us this way. He's going to tempt us, and he's going to offer us everything that we see, everything that we covet. And he's going to simply say this, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to get hurt. All it takes is a moment of compromise. Just a moment, lay your convictions aside. Just a moment and lay your beliefs aside. Just a moment of compromise. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment, because we're all super spiritual in the room today, right? All of us, man, we, we don't wrestle with any of this stuff. If I were to ask you, how many of us would easily compromise our faith in the Lord? Most of you would say, not me. Not me. But can I just submit this to you? If the conditions were just right, and the situation was just right, it could be just us. Let me give you one of my favorite examples of the Old Testament. There's a story of a guy named Jacob and Esau. They were brothers. And Jacob was a mama's boy. You can read it. He was. He was in the home cooking. And Esau was the grunt. He was the, you know, Grizzly Adams. He's out killing everything. And he came in when the Bible says that Esau was so hungry, he went to Jacob and he said, Jacob, hey, he said, give me a bowl of stew because you cooked it. And Jacob, being deceitful as he was, he says, listen, I'll give you a bowl of stew because I know you're hungry and you've been out all day and you're starving and I get it. I'll give you the bowl of stew, but I want you to sell me your birthright first. Now, birthright meant this, that everything that it was, that inheritance-wise that went to Esau, he was going to give it to Jacob. And because Esau was the firstborn, it would have all, two-thirds of it would have gone to him. And he says, listen, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but I want your birthright. Now, who in the right mind, listen, come on, who in the right mind would go, okay, I, okay, Elijah, I, I, I'm going to give you a McDonald's Big Mac because I know you're hungry. And all I want is your lifelong inheritance. Everything that's coming your way from, from your family, I want. Who in their right mind would trade a Big Mac for an inheritance? Would you do that, Elijah? You know what? We all would. If the situation was right. If the circumstances were right. 
if we were acting independent of God instead of dependent on God. If we found ourselves testing God instead of trusting God. Do you know who would compromise in those situations? We all would. If we had not made the commitment to not compromise. I mean, I, I bet you Esau one day woke up and go, what have I done? I sold everything that I have and everything that belongs to me for a bowl of stew. A moment of compromise that changed his life. And if we're going to truly withstand the temptation that faces us, we must refuse to compromise. This is how we stand. Guys, listen, I've given you three things today. As we look at the life of Jesus, these three things are how we stand. We act, don't quit acting independent of God and start depending on God. We quit testing God and start trusting God, and we refuse to compromise. That's the only way we're going to withstand temptation. Now, let me, let me give you, as we close today, let me give you a couple truths about temptation just to clarify some things. First of all, temptation is not sin. Being tempted is not sin. You need to know that. Second of all, when we're tempted, how we respond reflects where we're at in our life. When we face temptation, how we respond is a reflection of where we're at spiritually. So, for example, if we're temptation is this lust of the flesh and we have this sense of take charge and do things myself instead of depending on God, that's because we're in this very selfish place in our life. Or maybe that temptation is the pride of life that somehow we feel deserving like God owes us. That means our, we're at a place where we don't trust God that much. Or maybe we find ourselves tempted with the, the lust of the eyes and this compromise, and we find ourselves giving the compromise. It's because we have divided loyalties. We say we love God out of one side of our mouth, but we also kind of love the world too. Where we find ourselves and how we respond to temptation is a reflection of where we are at in our lives. Now listen, to take that kind of inventory is not easy to do. And I'm just asking you to look at your life and go, when I face temptation, how am I responding? And how I'm responding, how does that reflect where I'm at in my life. Another truth of temptation is this. There is no temptation too strong that you can't resist it. None. Did you hear what I just said? There's no temptation too strong that cannot be resisted. Which leads me to the fourth thing and the most important. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that will empower us to victory. In my own strength and my own power, I will always fail. But when I surrender and lean on the power of the Holy Spirit that's in me, I can have victory. So today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment today. And if you want to come pray at the altar, the altar will be open. You can come pray if you want to. But here's the commitment I want you to pray. And I want you to just, everybody just stand up, and I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you to think about this commitment I'm going to ask you to make. Everybody stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And here's the commitment I want you to think about making today. I want you to think about just this, just between you and the Lord. Nobody's, nobody's looking around, nobody's paying attention, nobody's noticing you. Here's the commitment I want you to think about. If you find yourself today, and you look at your life, and you spent more time acting independent of God, rather than being dependent on God, would you just in your heart of heart just say this, Lord, today, I need you. I need you. I know I act like I don't, but I need you. Or maybe you find yourselves being tempted with the pride of life that you're deserving, entitled, and you've been testing God. And would you just make the commitment today, Lord, I'm not going to test you anymore. I, I trust you. I know you're in control. I know you have a plan and a purpose 
And I want your plan and your purpose for my life. I trust you, Lord. I need you. I trust you. Or maybe you're being faced with the temptation of the eyes. You're coveting other things. That moment of compromise has come way too often. And today, maybe you just need to say, Lord, I'm committed to you. I need you. I trust you. And I'm totally committed to you. If we want to have victory over the temptation we face, it takes those three commitments. Lord, I need you, dependent on you. Lord, I trust you, never going to test you. And Lord, I'm committed to you. I'm not going to compromise. And if you're a believer, would you cry that out to him today? And if you're not a believer, let me just say this today. While we face a battle of temptation, you have a battle for your soul. There's an enemy that does not want you to come to faith in Jesus. The one who came, who lived a sinless life, and died on a cross for you. But today, I want you to have victory in that battle. And the only way you can have victory is by surrendering your life to Christ, by acknowledging your sinner and your need of Jesus. The Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you don't know Christ today and you want to call out on him, he will change your life. And I'm going to ask you, I'll be here, I'd love to pray with you. Or if you want to fill out a card and put on there that you gave your life to Christ today. But there's a battle going on. It's a battle for your soul. And who's going to win that battle today? Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you as we come to Matthew 4, we see these temptations that Jesus has gone through. But God, I hope what we really see is the blueprint that Jesus gave us. This idea that if we're really going to withstand the temptation that we face, we have to be dependent on you. We have to take everything to you and to your word and ask your guidance and direction. We have to trust you rather than test you. And we have to choose to be committed to you rather than compromising. So God, I pray for believers in the room that we would make those declarations, that the commitment of our heart is that we need you, we trust you, and that we are committed to you today. Maybe making a new commitment to you. Especially as we enter in 2019. May we live this next year for you like we maybe have not lived this last year for you. God, may we make that commitment. We need you. We trust you. We're committed to you. And then I pray for those who don't know you. There's a battle going on. And I pray today they would surrender their life to you and trust Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And then they would let somebody know. They would celebrate the decision they've made. As we sang a moment ago, Lord, may your Holy Spirit have his way in this place. May you have your way in our hearts and our lives. And as we feel like we need to respond to you as you lead us, may we be faithful. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to come pray at this altar, this altar is open. If you need to make a decision right where you're at, make it. But if you're a believer, please hear me. Can you declare from the bottom of your heart, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. And Lord, today I'm making a new commitment to you. Can you do that? And if you don't know Christ, who's going to win the battle for your soul today? Who's going to win? And I would love to talk to you right here. You move and let us respond as the Holy Spirit leads us, as Patrick leads us.